Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for Last week, I gave up a big opportunity that I had that came to me. I really wanted to have that, uh, that thing, <laughs> that big item. I really wanted to have it, but I had to learn to give up big things sometimes. We have to give big things up. We just can't have everything. It just doesn't always go our way. So this big opportunity, it hit me, and I, I saw the great things about it. It just wasn't in God's will for me. He just wouldn't let me have it. Well, today we're going to have a message here called 2 Kings 8, Giving Up Big Things. And we're going to start with 2 Kings 8, verse 1, where the king restores the Shunammites' land. Verse 1, Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can. For the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines seven years. Okay, this is the same woman back in chapter 4 that she had wanted to give Elisha a free place to stay and to, to work just to help him out. She never asked for anything in return. She did it out of the pure goodness of her heart for him. But then her son had died, and so Elisha raised her son back up from the dead. Now, since she had been such good help to Elisha, he gave her this heads up to leave Israel, get out of here before the famine arrived. There's a famine that was coming. You need to leave and to escape this. Now, we need to understand that this famine would not just happen on its own. It would be sent by the Lord. Why? To punish Israel for all their false god worship that they were into. The famine was going to be for the purpose of getting Israel to turn back to the Lord again. And yes, God actually does do this sort of thing. Take a look at Deuteronomy 11, verse 16. It says, Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Now, what I love about this first part of chapter 8 is that even though the Lord had to judge the entire nation of Israel for sin, he still gives this way of escape for his faithful people, like this woman, this faithful woman. He gave her a way out. So the Lord can both judge and save who he wants to at the same time. So we read that she lived those seven years with the Philistines. Now, guys, that could not have been easy. (laughs) Here's an Israelite. She's in a foreign territory. She's living with the Philistines who were Israel's sworn enemies. This means the woman had to give up big things. 
I want you to remember chapter four said that she was a notable woman, which means she had land. She had business to attend to. She had a a company, I guess you could say. She had employees. She had a lot of influence. This woman had a lot going on. And so Elisha told her to just leave it all. Just get out of here. You need to leave Israel. Wait a minute, Elisha, I've got my whole life going on here. I've got all these things that I'm responsible for. Well, he said, you've got to leave. Friends, could you have done that? Could you, if somebody came to you and said, hey, the Lord has said, you need to just drop everything you're doing, everything you've got going on, your career, your friends, your social life, everything you have going on, and just leave and go somewhere else. Could could you do that? That's what's happened to this woman here. I just kind of want to get you in the story with her. Second Kings 8 verse 3, it came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, and she went to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. Okay, God's law had written in it what's called the uh, right to inheritance laws, which are written throughout Deuteronomy, Numbers, and Leviticus. You can go look them up. It's all over the place. Now, these laws, what they did is they prevented anybody from taking any Israelites' inheritance away from them. They couldn't come and just take their land that they had inherited to them. This helped to ensure that each Israelite's inheritance was reserved for them. It's kind of like when you buy a movie ticket. That ticket ensures that no one can take your seat from you. You, When you get into that theater room, you know your seat is going to be there for you because that's your reservation. Now, these laws protected what was reserved for each Israelite's inheritance. Now, the, the reason for these laws is because it sustained God's promises to his people. He made a promise, I'm going to give you a land that kept the land as theirs. No one could take it. And so because this woman understood what God's laws guaranteed her, then she knew that she had the God-given right by written law, in his, written in his word. She knew that she had the right to approach the king to ask for what she was promised. 2 Kings 8 verse 4. Then the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, please, all the great things Elisha has done. Now it happened as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead to life, that there was the woman whose son he had restored to life, appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman. And this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. Okay, we have the same woman from chapter 4, but this is also the same Gehazi from chapter 5. If you remember who Gehazi is, he's that guy that worked for Elisha. And he had put lies in Elisha's mouth to try to take money from someone so that he could get rich off the ministry somehow. But he was cursed with leprosy for doing this. Gehazi ended up with leprosy. But remember, once he got leprosy, he had to leave Elisha, which means he was basically fired from ministry work. So here's Gehazi again in chapter 8, and it says he was Elisha's servant. So, okay, in the previous chapter chapters, it said he had to leave and go away. But if he's back in chapter 8, what we're reading here in chapter 8 is basically a flashback to events that happened before the events of chapter 5, before Gehazi was fired. Okay, so it's like those movies where they take you back and forth to remind you of things that happened in the past, okay, to tell a new story. Okay, that's kind of what we're doing here. We're in a flashback moment. In fact, right after the woman's story ended in chapter 4, 
we go straight into the story that I did in the past called Gag Me With a Stew, if y'all remember that. It was about that severe famine when all the prophets all choked on a stew that they had made from an unknown vine that had these gourds on it. Okay, so after the woman's story ended in chapter 4, then we immediately go into the severe famine era, era where the the stew was made, with it. they were all starving to death, okay, so now we're in the famine after she left. Now, chapter 4 does not tell us that Elisha told her to leave Israel, but now we're given here in flashback mode in chapter 8, we are being given that information. So we see that this was when Gehazi, back when he still worked for Elisha, and we see him explaining to King Joram all the things that Elisha had done for this woman. So I just want you to understand that we have gone back a few chapters to some information that was missing from before. Now, from past chapters, we know that King Joram had a lot of arguments with Elisha, and he even came to kill him back in chapter 7. So the fact that King Joram had to ask Gehazi who Elisha was, that tells us more evidence that this is a flashback here, because at the time, here in chapter 8, Joram didn't know much about Elisha here at all. Now, his major confrontations with Elisha has yet to happen here. We've already read about the, the conflicts they've had, but that hadn't happened yet. Now, a quick side note here is that now that Joram knew what great things that Elisha was capable of doing, it makes you wonder why he still ended up going to war with him later. <laughs> I guess that's Joram's ignorance, I guess. But how awesome God's timing is that while Gehazi was telling King Joram about her, about this woman, that's right when she walked in the room and she came in and interrupted his story. It wasn't the most common thing for somebody to just walk in before a king like that. But she knew that God's word guaranteed her inheritance. And so she had no fear about just walking right in to ask for what she had been promised. Second Kings 8 verse 6. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed a certain officer for her, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left the land until now. Okay, pretty nice. She got it all restored back to her, but Joram did not just say that she could have her land back and just carry on. He also assigned her an officer to make sure that she got all the profits that all her land had produced for the entire seven years that she was gone. The whole time that she lived with the Philistines, often foreign territory, every good thing that her land produced, all the profit that would have been that had been made through that seven period time, she got all of that. That's like retroactive pay. What a deal. Now, this is not just carry on restoration. This is what I would call full restoration. She restored from the past retroactively everything that her past faithfulness had brought her. It had all brought her remarkable blessing. Imagine if he said, okay, just go to your land and pick up and resume, you know, where you left off seven years ago. That's not what she got. She got better than that. And isn't that awesome, friends? But let's weigh in the fact that King Joram was a God-hating Baal worshiper. So I want you to consider something here. If a hostile king like Joram could do so much to restore this faithful woman, if a God-hating king could restore this for her, then how much more 
do you think the Lord God himself can do to restore you and I? If we will be faithful, you catch my point? If a God-hating king could restore so good for this woman, don't you think the Lord could do better for you and me? So once again, here's the gospel message right here in the Old Testament. I want you to look at this overall picture here. The Lord executed judgment upon an entire people for their sin, but he also worked out a way for his faithful to be saved. Isn't that awesome? Works the same for us, a way to be saved. John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the woman in our story today, she was faithful, and so God saved her. But he saved her through sacrifice. Okay, now remember, in order for her to be saved from the famine, she had to leave her home. She had to go away. For seven years, she had to give up big things, her job, her friendships, all the things that she had going on. Friends, this woman's faithfulness ultimately blessed her, but before that, it cost her. It cost her something. It cost her big. She had to leave home, business income. She had land that she had to manage. She had crops to be harvested. She had employees. But then here came Elisha. He said, get out of here. You have to go away. Now, you know how easy it is for us to read a story like this and think, okay, so she left for seven years. Okay, good for her. No, whoa, wait a minute. Don't view her life like it's just in this little fishbowl for you to look at. I want you to get in the story with her and put yourself in her position. Could you have done what she did? If the Lord told you to leave, could you have just immediately walked away? From your home, your income, all your businesses and all your goals, all the little things that you've got going on, could you have just walked away like she did? You know, if she expected to be saved from the famine, she had to give up her life. That's the big point I'm trying to make here in this, guys, is that she had to give up her life if she wanted to be spared and save her life. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, what if the woman had said, no, Elisha, look, my things are way too important for me to leave. I'm not going to give it up. I've put too much time into building all of this stuff up. I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to keep an eye on everything or else it'll get away from me and I'll lose it all. Okay, had she said that, then by trying to save her own life, she would have lost it, okay? But by faith, she trusted that God knew better than what she knew, and so she left. She trusted in the Lord, and so she left. She sacrificed everything for the Lord's will. And friends, this story helps me whenever I'm confronted with a decision that I have to give something up. I always know that God holds better ahead of me than what I could make on my own. Now, we need to get used to this idea of living a life of sacrifice, giving things up for the Lord, rather than that name-it-claim-it theology that says we're allowed to have everything and never have to give anything up ever. I'm going to take everything, and it's all mine, and it belongs to me. I should never have to give nothing up. That's bad theology, guys. That's a, that's a lie. I've had young men come up to me before, like in a coffee shop or somewhere, 
They want to talk about how they think they might be called to ministry, but they're not sure that they are or not. I have this immediate question that I always ask them. I ask them, would you stick to your calling to God if it were to cost you all your friends, all your family, if it cost you your career? And if it cost you everything that you own, if you lost all of it, if everybody and everything turned away from you and you lost everything that you had going on, would you still do it? And if they say, no, I would not, it's a good probability that they're not called because that's probably going to happen, most likely. Now, I've had a few people ponder the thought for a moment and say, well, I guess I would have to go on and, and, and carry on with it anyway. I guess, yeah, I guess I could do it. Then I'd tell them, okay, well, then now we can discuss your calling. But if right off the bat somebody says, no, I won't sacrifice anything for for ministry at all, then that's a red flag right there. Their heart's not right. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, the key couple of words in there is deny himself. He said, he said, deny yourself. No, 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 no. I get to name it and claim it. Nope. Jesus said, deny yourself, your identity of everything you are, everything you were, everything you've had, all of it. You got to walk away. Now, before I was called into ministry, I had a radio career of 20 years. I had to leave it all behind in order to do ministry. And that was hard. It was not easy to give up, to give all that stuff up. And to, you know, I was invested fully in all these great things. That's where, that's where my identity was. That's what I knew. But even beyond just leaving what I had, what is ahead is taking up one's own cross, Jesus said. Now, friends, that's a whole new ball game right there. It's one thing to just leave what you used to do. But in going into this calling, to take up your cross? Friends, do you realize that a cross is where everything is taken away from you? A cross is where you go to die. That's where you lose absolutely everything. And Jesus said, if you can't do this, you can't follow me. So I want you to consider the woman in our story here. The Lord's will was that she leave Israel walk away from everything she had, everyone she knew, everything she had going on, to go live among the Philistines, the Philistines of all people, Israel's mortal enemy. Friends, could you do that? I want you to consider the fact that we live in a world that hates Jesus. That's They are the enemy of the people of God, and they hate us because of the Lord Christ. They hate us because of him. We live in a foreign world that hates the Lord, that is his enemy. Kind of see a parallel between us and the woman where she had to go live among a hateful people that didn't like her. And that's where we are right now as believers in this world. Friends, we are required to live as sacrifices. Don't buy into this theology that says you get to name and claim whatever you want to have and it should be yours because God just wants to shower you with blessings, just give you everything you want. No, that's not the life of sacrifice. That's you looking for your own life means you're going to lose it. He who gives up his life for Jesus' sake, they're going to find it. So we have to live as sacrifices. Romans 12 verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, 
by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, he said, I beseech you. That's kind of beyond our normal English these days. At least it is for mine. (laughs) Uh, Beseech means to ask somebody to do something with urgency. Means this is not a light matter. This isn't something you can just gloss over and forget about it in five minutes after you turn the radio off. You have to, this is a very urgent matter. He says, you got to be a sacrifice. And living as a sacrifice means quite simply that there's going to be times you're going to have to give up major things that you don't want to give up. It's all the stuff you have going on. You're going to have to let it go just like the woman here in chapter 8 that had to leave her home. Now, friends, I'm glad that this verse we just read says that it's your reasonable service. That's very important. (laughs) It's reasonable because the instructions for the woman to leave her home, a lot of people would have considered that to be an unreasonable command. Well, that's not reasonable. Why should you have to do that? Okay, people are going to say that, and there's going to be times when the Lord will tell you to do something that everybody else is going to consider to be unfair, that that's not right, that's unreasonable. Why should you have to leave and go somewhere else? Do you hear what I'm getting at? Friends, I want you to know that your sacrifice to God, the sacrifice, the things you have to give up, that is reasonable. It is your reasonable service to God. Think of it. Jesus gave up his whole life for you. Why can't you give up some things for him? The reason why she was told to give everything up is because God's wrath was coming. And it was through sacrifice that the Lord was going to save her. She had to sacrifice her life to get out of Israel for her life to be saved. She had to go through sacrifice to get life. Now, friends, here's the gospel message right here in 2 Kings 8, that the Lord offered someone salvation from his wrath through sacrifice. Titus 2 verse 14 says that Jesus sacrificed himself to save us from God's wrath against our sin. I hope you can see that the gospel message is in this story today, that for us to get eternal life, we got it through sacrifice. We got it through the sacrifice that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Today's story is an illustration of how God wants to save us through sacrifice. Ephesians 5 verse 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You know, if we're going to imitate the Lord, then we have to be willing to give up big things, even our own selves, deny ourselves when it's called upon us to do so. You want to imitate the Lord? Okay, He sacrificed for you. If you're imitating the Lord, you got to sacrifice for Him. If you're going to do like He did for you, then you're going to have to do the same kind of things. This story here in 2 Kings chapter 8 will probably never be taught in the prosperity theology circles that are going on out there, okay? Because the woman in this story, she could not name and claim staying in her house. She could not deny Elisha's warning and shout at him saying, not today, Satan.
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.